The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. The primary purpose of the Dog Tag Podcast is to educate. The views, information, or opinions expressed on the Dog Tag Podcast are solely the views of the individuals or guests involved and by no means represent absolute facts. The Dog Tag does not accept responsibility for their views or comments. Welcome, everybody, to the Dog Tag Podcast from the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. This is Jason Galvin, your host, and my co-host, Renee Esri and Jim Higgins, are here. Today, we're going to talk about our favorite stories in the museum. And so we're going to go ahead and pass this over to Renee so she can start, start sharing her favorite stories, and then uh, we'll go around table on this. All right. Thank you so much, Jason. So we'll give you a little... Um, verbal tour of the museum today uh, with a few of our favorite stories as you kind of walk around. So um, as you first walk into the museum, one of the displays that you're going to see is a um, a small miniature replica of Fort Zumwalt. Uh, it's kind of one of my favorite displays because of the story that comes along with it, which was at the time, Fort Zumwalt, the park area was a state park and it was running in disrepair um the the actual home was not in good condition a lot of the uh the logs you know the the house was coming down and a local veteran wanted to um you know do had a project in mind and had reached out to the state to get see if he could get a couple of the logs that were just laying on the ground. And of course they told him no. And so after a night with a friend and a few adult beverages, uh, he procured a couple of those logs. And what's so neat about it is he took that log and he actually hand carved and made the exact replica of Fort Zumwalt. And we have that here in the museum. So as you first walk in, that's one of the first things that you're going to see that, you know, does tell a little bit of the history of this area. So I, I just, I kind of love that story that uh, it was actually created by a veteran. Jim? I love that. It It is neat because back then, you know, the War of 1812, the people, they built forts like that. And if the Indians uprisings did happen, you know, they would all flock to the fort and that's where they would hunker down to be safe. So it is, uh, there is a fort, the fort's still there. It's, it's, uh, there is one original component of the fort and that's the chimney today, and it's the last remaining fort from the War of 1812, I believe, anywhere. So it's it just a piece of history that gives you an idea how rich the history is in the county here. The um, After you turn into gallery number two, one of the first areas you meet is the World War One area. And one of the most uh, exciting things to us, and I know Marcia, our curator, would say the same thing. There's a little diary there from PFC Paul Rhodes, who went over in World War One, He was a medic, and he kept a pocket diary for his uh, the first few months that he was in France. And he uh, we actually transcribed it, but we have the original diary there. And it was pretty much a mundane entry each day. But then 
Then he wrote on November 11th, 1918, just three months today, we landed abreast on the northern coast of France. And today, the biggest and most ex- exciting thing, time in all of history has occurred. The end of the war has come. And he talks about his, uh, his experience. They all went up in the church steeple and took turns ringing the bell all day long. And it was a very exciting time for everybody because at the 11th hour, the 11th day, 11th month, 1918, the armistice uh, was signed. So, you know, the the big war, the Great War, as it was called back then, it ended. So that's a really nice exhibit. You know, we, uh, we've we learned to appreciate the hoarders around the museum here, those that save letters and things like that. It's a forgotten art, and through letters and things like that, you know, we can document these stories in, in no other way. The World War One era display does also feature a lot of it's called trench art or sweetheart art, either way, but there's some really neat little pieces that have been done, including a I love you mom thing that's got two fifty caliber shells attached to the picture frame, which seems like a, a bit of a contradiction in a way. But there is some really neat things, uh, some three World War One uniforms, the old wool uniforms, and then a summer uniform displayed in that area. So that's first thing you come into is the World War One area of the museum. One of my favorite uh, pieces in that area um, kind of came about by accident. Um, we have two postcards that, as Jim was saying, um, that it's a lost art of writing letters uh, because we can tweet, we can FaceTime now, you know, which is which is wonderful for the modern day soldier to still remain in contact and feel like they're still part of their family back home. But back then they didn't have all that stuff. And there's uh, these two beautiful postcards, and it was uh, written from a soldier to his girlfriend. And so a couple years ago, I decided I was going to do, for Valentine's Day, love in the museum and find all the little love stories that we had in the museum, and because uh, we do have a few. And uh, so I, I looked at those two postcards because they were my favorites, so I, I called up, uh, pulled the, the Dita gift up, and called the person that donated them and it was uh the granddaughter and i told her what i was doing that i was putting together a little love in the museum and she about dropped the phone laughing and i was like what are you laughing about and she said my grandmother and grandfather hated each other how they had uh several children is beyond me they they didn't sleep together. They hated each other. And I said, well, at least at one point in time, they must have loved each other because he wrote her some really nice little postcards. Um, so I, I, that's kind of a cute story. But the art uh, that's in those, you know, postcards is just beautiful. Um, so that's one of my favorites. Another one is uh, we met a Vietnam veteran. His name is Tom Smith. And... Uh, one of the things that we've learned about in um, in our journey with the museum is that veterans cope in lots of different ways. Some become musicians and they write songs or they write poetry or they write a book or they become artists and they draw or they paint or they sculpt um, or, you know, they just find different ways to express themselves and work their ways through, you know, their life. Uh, but Tom Smith, his the thing that he does that helps him cope is he builds models. 
And so we have a, uh, a very small sampling of some of the World War I airplane models that um, he has made uh, very lovingly and painstakingly. Each one can have anywhere from, what, two to ten coats of paint on them. He's researched, uh, especially the World War Ones. He knows all the aces that flew them. Uh, so that's kind of neat because I think that kind of started him in that journey uh, for that. And there's so many people that just love to see models. So those are kind of two of my favorites in the World War One area. You know, when you turn the corner there, you're into the Korean warrior there. And, and one of the things I like to tell veterans and, and the public in here, if you sign on the dotted line to serve, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous business. And whether it's enemy fire or just mother nature or it's an accident, you know, you're at risk and there's danger. One of the stories there around, around in the corner there is a story of Albert Koch, who was part of a, an advanced party that were going to set up a new base and he boarded a ferry along with a number of uh, American soldiers and family members. And the worst typhoon to hit the region, it was predicted to be wind speeds of 55 miles an hour. And it ended up being about 120 miles an hour. And the ferry was capsized. Um, almost 2,000 people went into the water, including at least 40 to soldiers and, and their family members. And only one, one soldier survived. And Albert was lost in this typhoon. We actually have the letter that his son, his father wrote to his son asking that, you know, he said, I heard a, there was a bad storm over there. I hope you're safe. And ironically, Albert drowned in that. We have a lot of his artifacts that were recovered from, you know, when he was pulled out of the water. So I like that. I like the story because it's a good reminder that being in the military is just dangerous. Anything can happen. And, uh, of course, Albert was from immediately, right immediately around the building here. So he uh, lived here his whole life until he went into the Army. So that's one of my favorite stories, too. Uh, you move a little bit along Korea and the story of Bob Rosinski, which is one of everybody's favorite in here. And Bob's claim to fame is he almost shot Eisenhower, President Dwight Eisenhower. He tells about a story about when he was on in Korea at a base in Seoul and the whole base was blocked, uh, blacked out. And there was a group approaching. He's standing there with his M1 carbine. And here's this group approaching, and there's not supposed to be anybody there. And he yells, halt or I'll shoot. And the group yells back, shoot hell, we'll shoot you. And he yells once again, you stop or I will shoot. And this went on for a few seconds. When uh, finally the, the group in question walks out of the, into the light where Bob's at, and it was President-elect Eisenhower that was in Seoul visiting the uh, South Korean president, and Dwight walked up to Bob and said, son, would you have really shot me? And he said, damn right, sir, I was scared, you know, and you, we didn't know anybody was going to be here. So it's funny, Bob's still with us today, he lives in the area, and, and what's funny about it is when you first meet Bob, it's, hi, I'm Bob Rosinski, and I almost shot Ike. It's almost the way he introduces himself. But it's one of those treasure stories that we love to have in here and, and tell it often because um, stories like that only happen in the military, and um, you know it's not all about shooting and everything else. It's about the funny stories that only happen in the military in the museum. Absolutely. I, I actually love that story. That's amazing. And, and without the museum or without, you know, 
uh, the gentleman coming to tell us the story, we wouldn't know that. You know, we wouldn't be able to to retell that story and be able to uh, share that with the generations to come. And uh, that those are really important stories to tell and re- remember. And uh, I am so glad that that story and all these stories are in the museum. Mm-hmm. What else do you love about the uh, stories, Renee? Um, when we get into the Korea area, um, I would probably stop and preface because um, I'm usually here on Fridays. And I have the uh, pleasure of volunteering with two Korean War veterans. So I have Chris Christofoli here in the morning. Um, and I have Art Minor in the afternoon that I get to work with. And uh, so I, when you get a tour from me, I typically let them talk about uh, the Korean era, you know, since that was their, their time in. And, and I kind of pull them in with a with whoever's visiting. Uh, but I would say my favorite, and it's probably one of my all-time favorite displays here in the museum, period, is a picture that we have up on the wall. And what would you say the size of that picture is? It's, it's got to be about four foot by about five foot. It's big. It's a big black and white picture that was given to us from the Korean War Veterans Group. And it's uh, a picture of Inchon Bay and it shows it's a black and white picture but it's so vivid and it's so clear I really call it a living picture because you can you know I'm an ex-math teacher and so I like grids and stuff you can almost grid it and look at each grid and try to figure out what the guys were doing there's so much activity going on in that picture and so typically if I get a, a group visiting with some young kids you know, I'll even ask them and I'll point to them and I'll say, what do you think those guys there are doing? But what's kind of neat on that um, and some of the information that Art has given me is uh, this was a really important battle in the Korean War because it helped uh, to cut the supply chain for the North Koreans and the Chinese. So it was a really strategic area that it was important that we gained control over. And as you look at the picture, it's a black and white picture with grays. <laughs> and you see all of these ships and boats uh, that are just laying in the mud. So they would come in uh, at high tide, and then the tide would go out, and then they could um, open up, the LSTs could open the front up, and they could start unloading all of the equipment and supplies that they were bringing in. And Art told me, he asked me one day, he goes, how do you think they got out? And I says, well, they put it in reverse, didn't they? And he goes, well, they don't do that. But what they actually do is they would uh, throw like an anchor out before they would, you know, get in there. And then when the tide would come back up, that anchor would pull them out. So there's just a lot of neat things about that picture. And um, whenever I listen to Art uh, give a tour, I learn something new uh, about that. Yeah, that's a great that's a great picture. And uh, speaking of of pictures and artwork, um, the Jim, if you could uh, tell us a little bit about this artwork that's right behind us, it's a it's a, it covers almost the whole wall over here. And and um, when I I just want to say a couple things first about it, and then I'll let Jim tell us about the artist and about what it depicts. But the very first thing when when Jim was walking me through my very first time, my eye was drawn specifically to one aircraft that my dad was a crew member on, which was an AC-130 gunship. 
Uh, and I said, do you know what that is? That's a gunship. I've never seen, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of places and I'll say gunship and people think, oh, that's a helicopter or whatever. But I was like, no, it's a, it's a, it's an AC-130 gunship. And the artist got it perfect here. And I was just very pleased and it, it, it really melted my heart a little bit. Jim, will you tell us a little bit about this picture, about this artwork here? Sure, Jason. The, um, the artwork's titled Five Wars. And it's actually a local artist's original painting she did for us here, Linda Wilmus. She's a award-winning artist in Wentzville, Missouri. And Linda's Linda's much more than somebody that supplies art in here. Linda has helped the museum in countless ways here. She loves the veterans, and we love having Linda around. She's helped us on many projects. The picture, though, actually displays five different wars, and it's got aircraft B-25s, World War II, the B-17, you mentioned the gunship, the Huey, and different, you know, the Huey was the iconic helicopter in, in Vietnam. It's got Mighty Mo, the uh, Missouri on it, and a lot of the uh, ground, you know, combat armored vehicles in here. So it, it is a, a beautiful painting. It is an original for us here. And by the way, we do sell uh, prints in the gift shop. So if you're interested, Jason, if you're that interested. I'm very interested. I'm very interested, and I love the artwork. It's done meticulously with a lot of care and concern, and and I can just tell that it was very important for, for the artist to, to do that well, and, and she did a beautiful job. And uh, if I'm being honest, that's one of my favorite pieces in the museum. Uh, what about you, Renee? What else do you like? Well, what I'd add to that is um, when Ralph had the stream of the museum, uh, he had seen something similar um, at one of the veterans organizations and he reached out to Linda and he said, I'm going to have a museum one day and I want you to put that in my museum. And so when we had her here, we knew it was going to be on this wall and we were going to have her, you know, paint the mural on the wall. And then we thought, what if we ever outgrow this building? We can't take that with us. And so she came up and made this painting that's what would you say the size is on this? <laughs> it's about 10 foot by 4 foot. Yeah, so it's a big a big piece of artwork, and it's beautiful. Um, and we can take it wherever we go. And we're lucky that Linda um, chose to do that for us here at the museum. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know, and not to put you on the spot, Renee, but um, I know that uh, you know we've been talking a lot about veterans uh, in different uh, you know, eras and things of that nature. Will you tell us a little bit about, if you can, some of the, the female veterans that are um, depicted in the museum or that are remembered in the museum? So um, kind of as we uh, leave uh, the area of Korea and we get into the Vietnam era, uh, we do have a little bit of Marsha Fisher. Uh, Marsha Fisher was in the Army, and uh, one of the neat things that she brought to us was a um, – she was part of picking out the experimental pantsuit for women in the Army. Uh, you know, so up to that point, most of the women had been nurses in that kind of field and wore dresses and skirts. And, you know, getting with the modern times, uh, they had, uh, you know, women wanted to have some pantsuits. And so she brought us that pantsuit that we have here in the museum. She said she was very thankful that that wasn't the one that, kind of one because she didn't like that one um but we do have several women uh that we can kind of talk about as we go through uh but Marsha's story is is a neat one another one that's my favorite in the vietnam era is of james club james club um 
you can't say was a Marine. He is a Marine. Um, and he wrote his wife over 500 letters of his experiences while he was serving in Vietnam. And um, she didn't share all of the letters with us because some of them were intensely personal. But again, going back to that lost art of communicating by letter, um, one of the letters that we have on display is a beautiful letter. Um, if you ever come to the museum, I would highly, highly encourage you to just take a few minutes, pull up a chair, and read that letter. It's about three or four pages long. And he wrote that letter after consoling a good friend of his who just lost his best friend in battle. And so he very eloquently wrote this letter expressing kind of what his friend was going through and what he felt and how much he loved his wife, Judy, and how much he looked forward to coming home. And it's just a beautiful letter. Uh, again, what a couple years ago when uh, when I did the little Love in the Museum for Valentine's Day, I reached out to Judy, and uh, she gave me another letter. Um, and it was actually a letter that he wrote at Thanksgiving about all of the things that he was thankful for, you know, in life and back home. And again, it's just another beautiful letter. Um, these things can also be found on our website, uh, the sccveteransmuseum.org. Um, you can go on the stories tab and you can click on that tab and you can find, um, James Club and you can read one of the letters that he wrote her. Um, the other little thing I think is just kind of cute is the Marines gave them pink paper to write those letters home on. So um, we really appreciate that from all those Marines. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And again, that is sccvetsmuseum.org, uh, s-c-c-v-e-t-s-m-u-s-e-u-m.org, sccvetsmuseum.org for all those stories. Jim, what is some other of your favorite stories? Well, there's one, and, and I think in the weeks ahead, we're going to actually do a podcast with uh, Joe Mullich. Um, when you turn the corner and you're into Vietnam right near James Club is the story of the USS Frankie Evans. The Frankie Evans was a destroyer, and they were serving in Vietnam and supporting the ground troops, shelling, you know, and different things like that. But they were off the coast of Vietnam. They went out in international waters, and then they joined up with some of the Australian Navy to do war games and in the middle of the night, the HMS Melbourne, about three in the morning, turned into the Frankie Evans and literally sliced the ship in half. The back half of the ship went into the water, sunk pretty quick, and only those people that were in the front part of the ship actually survived. Joe Mullich is, is a gentleman we're going to do a, an interview with. He fortunately traded shifts with somebody or he would have been lost too. 73, 74 men were swept out. Only one body was recovered, so the rest remain missing to this day. The uh, Joe actually donated uh, a porthole, uh, the uh, label from a porthole, and it's on exhibit here, as long, along with a brochure about the story of the Frankie Evans. The, um, the men's name do not appear on the Vietnam Wall, and there's been a whole lot of presidents that have stepped in trying to re- add the names to the wall, but for some reason it's never, their names have never been put on the wall. And once again, it's, it's uh, our way of telling that being in the military is dangerous business, you know, that anything can happen. So that's kind of one of my favorite stories. And Joe wrote just a beautiful recounting of the, uh, his experience and it's on our website. 
and it's it's a great story worth reading. And again, we're going to have Joe on a future show here. Well, I'm so glad that we have that story to tell because, you know, it gives us an opportunity to remember those men and to remember, just like Jim said, that it's it's a dangerous business and, you know, anything could happen at any time uh, in in a combat zone, you know, and um, what an amazing story and, and um, so glad that we have that here. It's I have uh, looked at that when I was touring this uh, museum for the very first time and I, I did find that very intriguing and, and uh, I love to, uh, I would love to um, interview him and share that story so that you guys can hear the rest of the story. Let's say that. What else do you have, Renee? Well, as you kind of come out of uh, Vietnam era, um, we have our um, wall of honor, which has our killed in action. All of the um, St. Charles County veterans, they're all men uh, that are on our wall that have been killed in action. And we honor them with a the dog tag. Um, and as a result, we've got a few displays uh, from some of the people that are on our wall. Um, I remember a Sunday, uh, probably about a year or so even before we, well, no, it was about a year before we opened, um, I met with the brother of Andrew Rankin. And Andrew Rankin uh, joined um, right outside of high school and uh, was killed in an IUD explosion. Um, His brother said, you know, I was 12 when my brother joined. I was 14 when he was killed, and I was 16 when my family fell apart from his death. Um, And he gave us his uniform. He gave us his Purple Heart, which we really honor that. Uh, You know, of a lot of the medals that, that, you know, these veterans get, those families really do hold on to those Purple Hearts. Those are uh, very important things to the family. And he gave us that. And he gave us um, a little bitty, remember the old photo booths? You know, not the modern day ones, but the old ones. <laughs> um, he had a little photo booth uh, reel of four pictures that his brother took. And he said, if you put anything out on display, please put this picture out. Because this is my big goofy brother that I remember. Not the young man that was killed. And I think that's really important, you know, for the family uh, to not always focus on what happened at the end, but to focus on, you know, what memories they had before then. So that's kind of one of my favorite stories over there, just because I got to meet with his brother and his wife and and him telling me those stories. Wow, that is so touching and and uh, really hits you in the heart there. You know, the families go through so much as well. And they are the support system for the veterans, you know, and, and I really, really think that um, that's an awesome thing that's here. Jim, what else do you have? Well, I wanted to add, too, it's it's one of the things that we do here regularly is is we call it their angel day when the, uh, the soldiers are killed in action. We post the story remembering them and telling their story. And, and one of the dividends of posting that, of course, is, is we keep them alive and, and we tell a little bit of information in their bio, but oftentimes family members and friends reach out to us and they share it and they give us additional information. 
I like to think that no story is ever complete in the museum because a family member or relative can reach out and augment the story. In the case of Andrew Rankin, I actually got a phone call not long back from a medic that treated him when he was wounded. And I'm meeting with him later this month. He wants to come up here to honor, you know, Andrew and, and the family, but he wants to tell the story of how they tried to save his life. And, uh, you know, so it's it's neat when you can enhance a story. Uh, no story is ever complete. We can always learn a little bit more and just build on a story. And that's one of the exciting things for me in here is is uh, just tell more about the folks, how they lived. And along with that, um, when you come into the museum, one of the things you'll see um, is a table in the front, and we put out – uh, each of the men <clears throat> from the wall that we're honoring for that month, you know, their angel stories. And as you look on the wall, you'll see a little, um, the poppy on their dog tag. And that lets you know that that's who we're honoring this month on the anniversary of their death. Wow. That's really impactful for me. And I know that's going to be impactful for the listeners. Um, you know, the veteran, a single veteran touches so many lives, uh, whether it's people they, they served with, people that were there uh, in their in their best of times, in their worst of times, their families, um, you know, just so many stories and so many, uh, you know, connections that, um, you know, this is, this is an awesome place for remembrance. And like Jim said, you get people years and years later that want to honor the veteran that they connected with or that they were in touch with or that they served with or helped, you know, or uh, any, any number of things, but it's going to, you know, I can only imagine, but I, you know, from the stories I've heard before, I can only imagine this is going to be healing for that gentleman too. You know, it's going to be a a time for him to heal and, and honor and, and uh, connect again. Mm -hmm. And, um, we had a <clears throat> we had a volunteer uh, that was here in the museum, and she was high school friends with Andy. You know, so this this area here is a small community, even though it's a pretty big area. Um, you just don't realize how small it, it is. Absolutely. So, would would one of you guys uh, kind of tell us maybe if you if you know it off the top of your head? Uh, the oldest veteran that's honored here and maybe the youngest veteran that's honored here? If Is that something that we have at the top of our head or maybe somewhere, uh, something close to that? One of our favorite stories in here is Ruth Hunter Reese and, and her husband, Roger. They're both in here. And, and one of the funniest stories that, again, things that only happen in the military, and I love these stories probably uh, a great deal anyway, but Ruth Hunter Reese actually went into the um, – the Air Force Reserve, when she was 39 years old, I believe, they really needed some nurse nurses, and they needed, like, triage nurses and head nurses. And um, I can't remember exactly what year that was, but, you know, they, people would deploy. And so she was actually um, deployed to the an air base here in Missouri, and she was pretty much told, you're in, get your uniform today, and report tomorrow and she tells a couple of funny stories about her time in there. And she said, so I was up till midnight putting doodads on my uniform. I love the word doodads for patches and, and things like that. 
She had an adjutant because back then they'd bring in as your experience level. They brought her in as a major. And she said, I don't know who to salute or anything like that. And I got a report tomorrow. Well, she had an adjutant and the adjutant told her, we'll walk real close together. And if I elbow you on the side, just throw up the right arm. And so she got by that way and, and uh, you know, adapted a little bit. But what's kind of interesting about it when you say the uh, one of the oldest people, she got a call when she was 59 years and eight months old and they wanted to deploy her to Iraq. And, and she said, she said to the person on the other line, do you know how old I am? And she said, yes, ma'am, we know exactly how old you are, but we really need a, a triage nurse. And I think it was over in Balad. And so she agreed to go and she went over there and, and there was still a little bit of fighting going on there. And, and the other funny story she tells is over there at the air base, there was one coffee shop on the base and it was called the Green Bean. And uh, every morning, all the troops would go up to get that cup, cup of coffee, and the lines were real long. You had to get up early and do that. And she got her latte, and she was walking away from the green bean with uh, with another officer when the uh, air raid, you know, sounded, and uh, they took running off to get behind cover, and you know, behind some rocks or some blocks or something like that. And uh, the other officer looked over and and. Uh, and uh, Ruth was crying, and he said, Ruth, are you okay? Ruth, are you okay? She said, I spilled my latte. <laughs> she, she was so upset about spilling a latte because of the line length trying to get into the green bean. So Ruth's story is very special to us, and, and uh, she brought that. And, of course, Roger's story, a Vietnam pilot flying caribous, which is always entertaining stories. So the two of those brought some real interesting stories. One last thought about Ruth as her father actually served in in uh, the Rangers in Italy in in uh, World War II in a very elite group, and uh, there was one specific battle. Um, Darby's Rangers is where he served, and he went off in World War II, and a whole three battalions went to into a fight in Italy, um, and only six men came back out of that battle. The rest were killed or captured, and her father Robert Hunter you know, did come back from that. So, you know, Ruth brought us uh, her her husband's stories, her own great story about, again, what only happens in the military and then that and the story of her father. So pretty exciting stories there. I love that story. I'm, a, you know, I drink a pot of coffee before I go anywhere. So I'd be really upset if my coffee was spilled. So I love that story. She's going to be my favorite veteran for about a couple of months now. <laughs> Uh, Renee, anything else you have? Any other stories that you want to highlight tonight before uh, we sign off? Yeah, as you uh, leave this uh, gallery, you'll go into the Gallery 1, which is our World War II area. And uh, that area is kind of, it was supposed to just be a uh, temporary uh, display area that we would change from time to time. But it really seems that we have got a lot of artifacts and stories from World War II. And I think part of that is a lot, you know, most of those veterans are now past. And their stories and their artifacts and their stuff has been handed down to their kids who handed it down to their kids who now have handed it down to their children. And so you've got, you know, a 20-something uh, that was given a box of stuff 
that they were told this is your great grandfather and you need to keep this stuff. They don't really have any connection with them. And as time goes on, they just lose, lose the attachment to it. So we've gotten a lot of those stories in, um, and we've gotten a lot of stories where they've brought it in because they want to, you know, share that story of their veteran with us. Um, so as you walk in there, uh, a couple of my favorites, it, it, it's kind of that gallery is just kind of like Jim had said previously, it's kind of ended up dividing into some three different areas. We've got the, uh, the Navy with, you know, Pearl Harbor and, uh, a lot of those missions. We've got the, um, the flyers, uh, which we had some as POWs and, um, multiple crashes and then we've got the army with you know the german conflict portion um there was one day uh we had a young man in here visiting with some uh, relatives uh marcia and i were here and uh he's we were looking over it at a display and he came up and he said where's the jewelry that we gave you for my uncle ollie summer and Marsh and I looked at each other, and we were like, the jewelry? How could we miss a piece of jewelry? And he went to tell us the story behind this piece of jewelry. And basically, when he was on the ship, if they shot down one of the Japanese Zeros, if the plane happened to crash close to the ship, the guys would jump off the ship many times to their own uh, injury, but they would salvage the metal from the plane and they would bring that metal on and they would fabricate things. And one of the things that they would fabricate would be jewelry to send back home. And he said, I, my uncle had two heart bracelets that were made. One was a single heart bracelet that was given to his mother and she's buried with that. And the other one was a two heart bracelet that was fabricated that he gave to his sister that he donated to us. And we, knew that we had that little heart bracelet but we didn't think much about it until we saw got the story to it um so that's kind of one of my my favorites was that and uh the generosity of ollie ollie was the chef on the ship and uh when he came back to the st louis area uh he was a very well-known chef here at the pope cafeteria and a few other places um but you know, going back, this area was a poor farming area at the time, and Dan didn't have a winter coat, and so Ollie gave him his pea coat, and Dan wore that coat and tried to give it back to his, his uncle, and his uncle told him, son, it's yours, you've earned it, you know, so he took really good care of that coat um, and has donated uh, quite a few of those items that he had of his uncle's to us, along with the great story so it's kind of one of my favorites when you first kind of walk in um, to the World War II gallery. How about you, Jim? Yeah, we've got some, I, I've mentioned it before, we've got some epic stories back there. And, and absolutely one of my favorites is Emmett Harder, too, back there. Emmett Harder had, was flying his 23rd mission. He was a waste gunner on a B-17, and he was shot down. And if you're an air crewman during World War II, you did not want to be shot down over Germany. The people would look, you know, they'd look at you, and they all had family, friends, neighbors that had been killed by the American or Allied bombs. So Emmett bailed out, and he was immediately surrounded by 
bunch of civilians. They had pitchfork shotguns, and they started yelling and screaming at him. They called him an American gangster. And they literally put a noose around his neck, and they were marching him into town and uh, over to a lamppost. They threw it up over to the lamppost, and they're about to hang him when a Nazi SS major walks into the crowd, points the gun at the biggest, tallest uh, German civilian and says, let him go. And I like to joke with people a little bit because how many people can say a, a German Nazi SS major saved my life? It's usually the other way around, unfortunately. But Emmett was uh, taken to a prisoner of war camp where he was in there for about a year, just about a year to date. And uh, Patton came through and, and liberated a number of the POW camps, including Emmett's. So Emmett decided before he left he was going to go into the commandant's office and get his record, a prisoner of war record. The Germans were meticulous about the record keeping in the war, and he wanted to get his record out of there. And uh, a copy of that is on display in the museum today. What's interesting about the exhibit is just about six, eight months ago, it was a le less of an exhibit because we didn't have his bomber jacket, goggles, and he leather helmet. And a couple of young men reached out to us, and they said, we noticed you got an EA Harder in the museum, and we think we might have a jacket that belongs to him. And they came in and said, we think it belongs with his exhibit in the museum, and they gave it to us. Now, they paid money for that. One of them bought it out of a pawn store, and the other one bought it at a, at a silent auction but they felt, both felt strongly that it should be in the collection here at the museum. And that was partway because of our website and, and just Facebook posts and things like that. So we love it when those stories keep evolving in here, and, and um, very many of them do that on a regular basis. Wow, that's a really, really impactful story. I, I like that. I'm going to have to go and read that one, and, and all of you should come and read that at the museum. Well, uh, Renee, Jim, do you guys have anything else tonight before we sign off? Just want to kind of mention if you are in the area, we do have a gift shop. And we also have for the, we learned a long time ago that the uh, older people can read the stories if we keep the kids busy. And we do have a scavenger hunt where they can go around looking for a number of items in the museum and they get a free prize. We also have a tent back there, a World War II era tent. It is a please touch area where they can go in there. And what kid doesn't like a tent, right? And they can touch everything in there. And I think one of the funniest reactions we hear on a regular basis, there's an old World War II era typewriter, and the kids will look at a phone and say, Mom, Dad, look at this. It's just like my phone. They don't quite understand that. So there is a lot of things here that we, we do do to try to keep the kids occupied so the parents can read some of the stories. Well, Jim, thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, Renee, thank you so much for sharing tonight. Um, you know, We're going to go ahead and sign off, but we want to thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by the Renee Esri Allstate Agency located here in O'Fallon, Missouri. She is a li she's licensed in Missouri and Illinois and focuses on your personal and commercial insurance needs. Her office is located at 2764 Highway K in O'Fallon, Missouri. You can reach her at 636-379-9556. Again, that's 636-379-9556. And you can also reach her at email R-E-N-E-E-E-S-S-A-R-Y at allstate.com. If you're shopping for insurance and want an active agent that will educate and advise you on the coverage that you need, please reach out to her. 
You can reach the museum and visit the museum in a few different ways. The museum is located in O'Fallon, Missouri at 410 East Elm Street in O'Fallon, Missouri, 63366. You can also visit our website at sccvetsmuseum.org. That's S-C-C-V-E-T-S-M-U-S-E-U-M.org. And also, please look us up on Facebook and like the museum's uh, Facebook page at SCC Veterans Museum on Facebook. And this is us signing off the dog tag with Jason Galvin, Renee Esri, and Jim Higgins. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Next week, we will have a very special guest in our museum studio. Paul Bud Hadicke served in the Army Air Corps and flew 23 missions in a B-17 Flying Fortress as a bombardier. On their first mission, Bud's B-17 was heavily damaged by enemy flak and crash-landed. Bud and his crew went on to fly 22 more harrowing missions. Bud is featured in the 2018 documentary, The Cold Blue. The Cold Blue is composed from 90 hours of lost footage, Director William Wyler used for his 1944 documentary, The Memphis Bell, a story of a flying fortress. The St. Charles County Veterans Museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. The museum would not exist without the donations of our generous community. Your donations ensure the museum continues to share and preserve the stories of our veterans. Would you like to be part of something special? To donate, visit sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate.